Blog Talk Radio. Stephen B's Media Production is a part of the Shellcaster Network. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by members of the Churches of Christ. With your host, Stevie R. Butler. You're listening to What a Word from the Lord Radio Show.
You're listening to What a Word from the Lord radio show. Good evening and welcome on the world listening to this radio broadcast. Stephen B's Media Production presents What a Word from the Lord radio show. I'm your host, Stephen uh, Butler. And this radio show is being broadcast from Stephen B's Media Production at the Carolina studio in the great state of North Carolina. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just grateful for the privilege we bring you a program where we as Christians and members of the Churches of Christ can share our faith and preach and teach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ on a weekly basis. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, give us a call to the live show at 713-955-0508, or you can go to the Blog Talk Radio website and listen to the show live there. There are 1,700 live shows on Blog Talk Radio at this hour, and I just looked at it before I came on the air. You will find this radio show tonight on page two or page one. They might have moved up since I came on the air. We're just grateful uh, for them doing the show this way so our listeners can readily, readily easily find these shows here on Blog Talk Radio. If you have any questions or comments with them, my co-host or special guest on this broadcast, you can send your emails to my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com. Or you can give me a call, Stephen B's Mid-Production at the Carolina Studio at 910-491-6405. Now, again, this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ. And if you need any assistance in locating a congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now, ladies and gentlemen, on tonight's broadcast, we have a special edition every third Tuesday of the month. My co-host, Dr. Etherica Lane, She's a board-certified obstetricianist and gynecologist from the Great Road Church of Christ in Cincinnati, Ohio, and she'll be hosting tonight the Dr. Lane Show, Conversations with Dr. Lane. All yours, Dr. Lane. Enjoy the show. You're listening to What a Word from the Lord Radio Show. Stevie B Media Productions presents, in collaboration with Lane Media and Photography, a special presentation of what a Word from the Lord Radio Show, featuring Conversations with Dr. Lane, hosted by Dr. Antherica Lane, board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist. Conversations with Dr. Lane, where health and life intersect. Are you ready to learn to live a life that is overflowing with victory and empowerment? Welcome to Conversations with Dr. Lane. Dr. Lane is a board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist. She is committed to addressing health holistically from the mind, body, and soul. Hi, this is Dr. Antherica Lane with Conversations with Dr. Lane. Let's talk about those things that we do not have time to discuss during an appointment. Let's talk about your finances, business, education, relationships. If I can empower you to make healthy decisions in these areas, I am convinced your mind will be more focused and more open to a conversation about your health. Turn up the volume. Get ready for Conversations with Dr. Lane. Hello, this is Dr. Antherica Lane with Conversations with Dr. Lane. Today we have another exciting guest, Dr. James Kelly. 
Dr. Kelly is a clinical psychologist and has been in practice in Cincinnati, Ohio for the past 36 years. He holds a Doctor of Philosophy degree from the Union Institute and University. Dr. Kelly's training and practice overall emphasize how Christianity can be effectively applied to social and emotional development to improve adjustment, mental illness, self-esteem, and identity. He has several areas of particular interest in his practice, including mental and emotional illnesses impact on education, working through trauma, disorders of childhood adolescence, as well as structural and strategic marital and family therapy. Dr. James Kelly, welcome to Conversations with Dr. Lane. Hello, this is Dr. Antherica Lane with Conversations with Dr. Lane. Today, we have another exciting show for you today. Today, we are talking to our guest, Dr. James Kelly. Dr. James Kelly is a psychologist, and we are going to discuss a very important topic that impacts many of our lives, and that is the topic of marriage. Let's bring on Dr. Kelly. Hello, Dr. Kelly. How are you today? Hello, thank you very much for having me. It's so wonderful that you've taken time to join Conversations with Dr. Lane. I'm looking forward to starting this conversation. Um, I want to start our show a little different today. I have been thinking about asking my guest a question, and that question is, when did you know that you are powerful? One of my goals of my show is to encourage everyone to live a life that's full of victory and empowerment. And I often think about when did I know that I was powerful or full of power? And I think one of the ways that I knew that I was powerful is through the use of creativity. A lot of times when uh, in my career, in my education, Uh, When you pursue science, there's a very strict, rigid way that you should pursue uh, that discipline. And I often felt stifled because there was this creative part of me. And uh, I luckily, I went to, and and really not luckily, I think it was God's plan. Uh, I went to a school called Crossroads School for the Arts and Sciences. And I thought, I think that's really interesting that my parents chose a school that really merged the idea of arts and sciences. And I had exposure to a lot of creative individuals. But even during that time, I chose the science track, and I was not able to really pursue that creativity. But now that I'm older, I've really been able to develop that creativity. And it really makes me feel powerful from the sense of creativity is such a very meaningful way to share yourself with others. Um, It's a way to become vulnerable and to really impact the lives of others. So I'd like to ask you, when did you realize that you are powerful? 
Good question. Before I get to my specific answer, uh, I think that one of the things I, uh, that I find remarkable uh, about your story, because I think it's consistent across uh, uh, all humanity, is that there is a um, perspective uh, on yourself that you have, uh, a gift that you have, a talent and interest that is there uh, almost from the time of birth. And uh, as you go along in life, you really reach plateaus where you're able to, to really live that out. And you come to really sort of a uh, particular point in your life where you say, aha, you know, this really is, is where I have my energy, my strength, my gift. And for me, uh, it really is not a, uh, a particular hidden uh, sort of talent or wish, but it really is a period in my life, and that was seventh grade, uh, I, w I would have to say. One of the things I discovered in seventh grade that is, has stuck with me to this day is that because of my intellectual achievement during that period in my life, I was also able to really establish good relationships with people and engage with them in a variety of topics of interest. So uh, that idea of really connecting with people, enjoying uh, relationships, having a diversity uh, around me, and being able to develop those friendships, uh, some more intimate than others, has been sort of a lifelong experience. But there's real power uh, in uh, establishing those relationships, and that is uh, consistent, of course, with the work I do today. Oh, well, excellent. I, I absolutely love that story. I think it, it's nice for us to take moments to really think about how we became powerful. Um, I think we've all been blessed with talents and gifts, and, and when we can use them to make this world a better place, I think it allows us to really, to really have purpose and meaning in our life. So, uh, Dr. Kelly, we're going to get started with our conversation. One of the questions that I see over and over again is why do marriages fail? From the work that I've done over the past 36 years, uh, the underpinnings of the failure of most marriages by far is selfishness. Uh, it may manifest itself uh, in other behaviors that uh, may be the topic that will bring people in to me and or may lead them into a court of law for a divorce, but the heart of uh, the uh, real issue is selfishness. And trying to get uh, people to really kind of look at themselves more honestly in the impact that their selfish behavior is having on their marriage and their partner uh, is the challenge of the work that I do. So let's break down selfishness, like what you actually mean by that when you say selfishness. Is it selfishness in regards to always putting that person's priorities first, or how would you define that when you say selfishness? I would say it's really uh, about putting the priority uh, that that individual has over the care and concern of uh, uh, their spouse. And so it can manifest itself in the finances. Uh, it can manifest itself in the time spent at home, uh, you know, really kind of building that partnership to make that home run. It could manifest itself in terms of looking at uh, uh, sacrifices that you would make uh, for your spouse, whether that's a job opportunity to move away, uh, just all a whole myriad of things. Yes, yes. 
And I'm sure that when someone is being perceived as being selfish, for example, if I were if I was perceiving my spouse as being selfish, then that could definitely build some resentment in the relationship. Absolutely. Uh, I think that uh, part of what is really critical uh, in marriage is uh, having empathy, being able to, to experience and understand the perspective of the other person. That's what I mean by empathy. And then I think the other piece of that is self-sacrifice, the opposite of selfishness, that oh, we often come into a marriage uh, or begin to date or establish a relationship because of what that other person makes us feel, how they make us feel about ourselves. And I think what gets lost, especially in what Western culture, is that that is uh, a, an important aspect of the relationship, but also another important aspect is your ability to be able to give to that person. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is not always easy to give. Uh, I think the heart and soul of, of, of any good marriage is one of self-sacrifice. Yes, definitely, definitely. Um, as you were talking, I was thinking about how possibly our upbringing may have an impact on the successes or the failures of our marriages, and in particularly our perspective or or the models that were demonstrated in regards to things like selfishness or self-sacrifice. Uh, what are your thoughts about how significant our upbringing impacts our marriages? I, I think it has uh, a tremendous impact uh, uh, that is quite often uh, uh, overlooked. Uh, we tend to think of ourselves as, as this very powerful individualistic uh, sort of uh, culture, and, and that is true, but we cannot neglect the impact uh, of our familial history, recent and remote. Uh, I think there's something to be said uh, for uh, uh, the impact that uh, trauma can have uh, over uh, several generations. Uh, so I think it is really uh, important uh, to look at those models uh, that uh, we grew up with and look at how they impact us. But that's also very good, difficult to do because it means that you have to look more honestly, not only at those parents who raised and loved you or those caregivers who raised uh, and love, hopefully loved you, but also at yourself and how you filtered those experiences and bring them to bear in the relationship. Is it possible that a person may not even realize that they grew up in a generation uh, that was perpetuating trauma uh, throughout their family life uh, because they just took that as normal? That's normal for what my family experienced and other family members experienced. That is uh, a, a, a true statement that uh, I, I see lived out all the time that, uh, you know, I, I, in particular, if I think about families in which drug abuse or alcoholism uh, is, is present and pervasive, that there's a normality uh, to uh, that sort of addictive family. Uh, and there are certain roles that people play and you adopt those roles and you carry those roles out. And, and it's and it may not always necessarily be dysfunctional in that family of origin where you're experiencing that trauma or those models uh, that uh, are giving you these dysfunctional uh, patterns of behavior. 
that may be healthy for you in that setting. The problem comes when you're really stepping outside of that uh, family of origin and really trying to uh, develop a family of creation. That model and those characteristics simply will not work. And you have to be aware of, of where that is coming from. And it's, again, it's very difficult for us to see ourselves as, uh, as broken is the way that I would describe it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that even really pointed out to us. Yes, yes, yes. That really even gets to the point of marriage is that moment when two people become one, and sometimes that union of becoming one can just be so much. Um, I'm just trying to think of an analogy. It's almost like, uh, you know, putting two sparks together, and and it's just they they just ignite because they're just not quite matching up because you know his upbringing is so different from my upbringing or vice versa that's very true now when i'm talking to uh, groups of singles and most often it's women sometimes it's men uh, mixed group but what i tell them uh is if i had sort of a a magic world i could create for people who were dating uh i would say take a year to get over the romance to really enjoy the romance. Take another year to really figure out who that other person is, uh, looking at their family, looking at their habits, how they manage their finances, uh, how they deal with their disappointments, hurts, all of those kinds of things. Look very microscopically at their lives and through your experience uh, and through how the experience of how they treat their families. Then take a third year and, and really work on can I live with this individual? Can I be equally yoked with this individual? What does that really mean? Because part of what the delusion, I I will call it that, a delusion that we have is that we can go in and change this individual. We will make their lives better. That's part of us feeling our own potency. Uh, And, but it's a very selfish uh, perspective because what happens when that gets, that bubble gets burst? So, uh, but most often when I'm I'm dealing with uh, single uh, there is a pushback on that, uh, saying three years, that's, too, that's way too long. We live in an immediate society that wants immediate results, and it's only when we confront uh, some of the negative consequences of our desire for immediate results do we have uh, uh, a, a chance to really kind of uh, have a, a more openness uh, to uh, looking at things differently. Yes, yes. I think you brought up a really great point. There's such power in taking a pause. Um, Sometimes I think our emotions do get the best of us, especially when we're thinking about um, marrying someone. So I think just pausing and addressing each of those areas is so, so very, very important. So I think you bring up an excellent point there. You know, one more thing I'll mention in that regard is that one of the the major transitions uh, that uh, I try to help patients get to is is moving from that romantic love to that conjugal love. Uh, And romantic love, of course, we're all familiar with it. It has the erotic component, you know, the feel-good component, but that doesn't last forever. And certainly we have heard that. But then what does it mean to have that conjugal love? Uh, that's really born out of trust and respect for who the other person is. And trust and respect for them, and so you're living uh, with them in such a way that you're 
you're honoring uh, uh, their style and, and what history they bring to the relationship. And that's, that's difficult because mm-hmm. it requires a great deal of maturity. Yes, yes, yes. I wanted to get to one other reason of why marriages fail, which really gets to your answer that you discussed in regards to selfishness, is this whole issue of infidelity. And I would say that selfishness is really at the foundation of infidelity. What are your thoughts about the reason why infidelity is such a um, a significant reason why marriages fail? Well, there is uh, certainly there's there's selfishness is is at the root of that because I tend to look most often at infidelity as a deflection. Uh, from your responsibility to really clearly address the problems that you are uh, experiencing uh, in the relationship. And so what you do is you you pull in an outside person uh, that uh, really is sort of a shield. Uh, And of course, we we know that that only ends up continuing to wound uh, any uh, possibility of healing in, in the relationship. So I do see infidelity as the tip of the iceberg in terms of selfishness, but I also see it as uh, a way to cope. When I'm working with couples in a fair recovery, uh, there's a whole process to try to put them through to kind of understand what's broken in their relationship that they were not able to really deal with and then how that led to uh, the the affair. Now, the uh, the person having the affair uh, clearly has a different set of responsibilities and accountability than the person uh, that didn't have the affair. But there's some brokenness in their relationship that they have to address. And it's really a challenge uh, to to get the person who's having the affair to address it. And a real challenge to, to get the person who's not having the affair, but who's been wounded by the affair, to understand some of the dynamics that may be playing out in their relationship with their spouse that may be pushing them uh, away and then teaching them how to really work through those kinds of issues. It's quite often a long and arduous process if it's successful. Yes, I like how you use the word recovery because I immediately think about someone who's been wounded or someone who has undergone a surgery or some type of um, process, and it really is a process to recovery. It's difficult to talk about infidelity without really maybe taking away some pearls about forgiveness for our listeners who are out there who may have experienced infidelity in their relationships. Do you have any pearls about how to learn to forgive in the context of infidelity? Yes. Forgiveness is not just a decision that we make at a particular point in time, but it is also a pattern of behavior that we choose to live out. When I talk with couples about forgiveness as sort of a practical life skill, I talk about not responding to that individual according to how they have wounded you, according to your desire for vengeance. That is what you have to put away. And it's not a one-time putting away. It is a repeated putting that away. Now, in return, in return, and this is intimately connected with uh, uh, this whole idea that I propose of forgiveness, the person who has wounded you has to really take full ownership for uh, their wounding. They have to take full responsibility 
uh, for building back the trust that they have broken and for understanding the pain that they have caused you. When you put both of those together in a concerted effort by uh, both individuals, uh, then it becomes really a, an opportunity for that relationship to thrive. Yes, that's going to definitely take some work. That's why they say marriages work. We hear that all the time. It is absolutely work. work. Yes. Yes. So we're going to switch gears just a moment Mm -hmm. here. And uh, I've noticed in social media, there tends to be this battle going on between what a man needs in a relationship and what a woman needs in a relationship. And if you were to put you know, put your spin on it. What are, what are your thoughts? What would you say? What's your two cents about what does a man need in a relationship and what does a woman need in a relationship? Well, I would say, uh, looking at my own life and looking at the lives of those that I, that I, that I work with, uh, I would go with John Eldridge's book, Love and Respect, that it is uh, women most often want love. They want to be embraced and accepted and adored uh, and uh, cared for in uh, the ways that make them feel like there's no way the world can come in and, and hurt them or do anything, that they have a solid rock uh, on, on which to lean. Uh, the men most often want respect. They want to feel powerful and potent. There's, a, there's an ego that's built into masculinity. And uh, of course, that can get carried to an extreme so I'm, I'm not talking about the extreme ends of, of that, but allowing uh, the man to have a, a leadership role in which he is really considering uh, all aspects of, of everybody's thoughts, beliefs, values, opinions uh, his, uh, of his spouse or, or anybody else that's in the family, and really working with that is really important for that man uh, to be able to feel like he is respected as, as someone who is potent. Men have this 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 need for power, and and I don't mean that in a, in a destructive or pejorative sense. Uh, I I think it it really comes down to how we function, uh, and I think if a woman is able to give a, a man the respect uh, that uh, he should hopefully continuously earn, uh, and uh, uh, that he is able then to be free to give her the love that she so requires in order to feel whole. Yes, yes. What are some ways that women can take away that respect or disrespect their male partner without realizing it? Ah, wow. There there are so many ways uh, that that can happen. I think the way that you talk to your husband uh, is uh, if it is in a tone of voice that says you are insignificant, that is uh, a, a significant blow to that man's ego. And I hear this from men uh, uh, an awful lot. It, about 97%, people have to realize 97% of what we communicate has nothing to do with the words we use, but it has to do with the tone of voice, mm-hmm. the nonverbal eyes, uh, glances that we give. Um, and the behaviors that we engage in. So I, I think if I were to uh, really identify one thing that I see women do, and women use three times more words than men, so they are able to outperform men in using their words and using them effectively. And I don't think that necessarily has to be bad, but when I've seen it used bad, 
It has been to denigrate that man. Hmm. And then on the flip side, how can a man, um, how can he not demonstrate love without realizing it? He may feel like, hey, I have a, you have a roof over your head. Um, you're able to buy clothes when you need to. Um, there's food on the table. I'm showing you that I love you every day. So are there ways that men can not demonstrate love without realizing it? And I'll reference here uh, in my response, uh, Gary Chapman's book, uh, Love Languages, uh, that uh, for your spouse, you really need to understand what is most important for her in terms of her feeling loved? And, you know, a lot of times it comes in quality time uh, for women. Acts of service uh, would be the two of the top uh, ones that I hear from women most of the time. So uh, in that context, I would say uh, being indifferent to your spouse would really be kind of the challenge that would uh, uh, make uh, your wife feel not valued. Yes, yes. I think um, that leads us to our next question, which really is, what is the key to communication? Really, when you start thinking about, you know, what are my husband's needs? What are my wife's needs? At some point, you need to sit down and talk about that or communicate what your needs are. So if you were to say, what are some barriers to communication or what, what is the real key to effective communication in marriage? One of the first things I would say is really honesty with yourself, being very clear with yourself what it is that you need. And while that may sound like a very simple, straightforward statement that we all ought to connect with immediately, it is not always that easy to, to really translate. So I, I think having a conversation with yourself about what is really troubling you and what it is that you really need in your communication from your spouse is, is really important. Then I think the second thing that, that uh, comes up most frequently is being able to listen to your spouse. Uh, quite often we are preparing our response uh, to whatever uh, the, uh, the, the, the is being said uh, without really taking time to really listen to what our spouse needs. So I often encourage couples, clarify, uh, you know, repeat back paraphrase what your spouse is saying to you to be sure that you understand what they're saying. Uh, because I can't tell you how many times it's come to a place where uh, the spouse says, I said one thing and the other one is saying, no, you didn't say that. And so uh, th there isn't that sort of verification that's going on in the moment. And I think those are two key things that have to happen in communication. Yes. I think that clarification point is really important, really trying to, trying to rephrase what you thought the other person heard, because then that gives them an opportunity to correct it if you didn't understand properly. Absolutely. And to listen to that correct correction. Don't that, take that correction as an indictment of you, uh, but uh, that correction is really an inform, informing you as to this is what I, I really need. 
because I, I think sometimes our, our egos, and I'm going to say this about men more importantly than women, our egos get in the way. And, uh, you know, if if your spouse, your wife is trying to uh, clarify what it is she's saying, and you take that as an assault on your inability to understand rather than an opportunity and an invitation for you to grasp a better understanding, a deeper understanding, uh, then we, we get back to the whole thing of selfishness uh, uh, that I talked about and pride and really trying to to, to take care of yourself at the expense of the marriage and your spouse. Wow, these are some great pearls, Dr. Kelly. Great, great pearls. If you're just joining the show, this is Dr. Antherica Lane, and we are having a conversation with Dr. James Kelly, psychologist. And this is a wonderful opportunity to learn how you can better your relationships or improve your relationships and your marriages. So let's get on to, it's difficult to talk to a psychologist without talking about conflict management. I think arguing is probably something that many couples experience. And what would you say is the best way or, yeah, the best way, what would you say would be the best way to manage an argument or a sort some kind of a hot topic in a marriage, a trigger point. Well, well, first I will say is that uh, part and parcel of having an intimate relationship is our disagreements. Uh, that should not surprise uh, anyone, although I think it, it does. The what is not acceptable uh, in those uh, disagreements is uh, our insults and assaults on the other person's character. Um, what I would uh, say is really uh, important uh, is be clear about what it is that you're, you're asking for or that you're debating about and think, is it really worth the energy I am putting in? Whether I, and I'm taking a really silly kind of example, but, but where, whether my wife wants me to wear a red shirt or a blue shirt, is that something really to, to argue about? Um, and uh, and I think you have to really look at the importance of the topic. I think the other uh, part of really getting through uh, an argument is understanding there must be compromise, that uh, you need to start off in the conflict with trying to understand where it is that you can give. It's really an important topic. Where can you give? How can you give? so that the other person is then invited by your surrendering to them to also surrender and to meet your need or request. Yes, yes. I think there are two things that I often find helpful in getting back to the power of the pause and pausing a moment and really thinking about what my spouse is saying or upset about. And then the other thought is really um, taking a moment and really um, considering uh, that perspective that's being presented and validating uh, the perspective that's being presented. I think that's one thing that um, I've heard in the past, uh, even from uh, my marriage, is you know just the importance of validating that, okay, you have a good point. And that's difficult to do in the heat of the moment, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I think it is. You know, one of the, the things as we're talking about this topic that really strikes me is I, I had the great privilege of being trained as a hostage negotiator and a profiler. And many of the things 
that uh, we're talking about in terms of dealing with conflict and kind of understanding and communication are really the things that you, you talk about when you're trying to deal with a crisis situation uh, and uh, trying to de-escalate. And we all see those kinds of things in the news media with police uh, in terms of how do we de-escalate. Well, sometimes marriages get to that place where they've escalated to the point uh, where there's physical conflict or physical violence. And uh, sort of what we're talking about here uh, is really on point with how do you keep the temperature low and mm. calm so that the issue gets resolved. Yes, yes, yes. That that art of de-escalation is extremely, extremely important. And sometimes our words, things that we say, our, our body language can easily take a situation that could have just been at level two to level 10 in a matter of in a matter of seconds, for sure. What, yeah, what are your thoughts about arguing in front of children? Is that is that good to do to, so that they can see how you manage conflict, or should uh, couples try to protect children from from examples of conflict in arguing? I think it is a quintessential mistake to try to protect your children from the arguments that you and your spouse may be having. That is not necessarily uh, a, a concern of mine. What is a concern is when I see those arguments uh, degenerate into accusations and uh, insults uh, and uh, character assassinations. Uh, children should not be a witness to that because they're learning uh, about how to, to, to deal with conflict and, and disagreements in the way that you, uh, they, they see it modeled. Uh, so the, the other piece I would say uh, to uh, having a healthy sort of family relationships in which there's conflict is really having them see you resolve the conflict. And even if they are not present when it's resolved, going back to them and talking with them uh, about how uh, your spouse uh, and you resolved uh, that issue. And that, uh, and sometimes emotions get intense, but that it does not mean that there's not love there. And so that they have to then begin to build a framework uh, in their head of this is what I should expect. Uh, and this is what I should be working for. Sort of the, those things that uh, we talked about, uh, you know, that, that lead to uh, uh, divorce. I mean, if you never see your parents argue, how do you know how to argue successfully? Mm -hmm. uh, and you never see any conflict resolved, or if you see it resolved badly, you know, you're going to follow that model. Yes, yes. I remember hearing a psychologist once say that when a child sees conflict and arguing and discord and makes them feel insecure. Do you have a perspective about that? I think without a, put, helping that child put that in a context, mm -hmm. and, and that's what the explaining and them being able to understand kind of the process from beginning to end, if they just see the conflict with no resolution, that is an insecurity uh, uh, for them. The other thing that you have to think about developmentally, depending on the age of the child, but but younger the child is, the, the more self-centered they are. Mm -hmm. So that if something bad happens, you know, uh, 
mom slips on the floor and, uh, you know, falls, but she's okay. You know, a, a child might say, that's my fault because I was angry at mommy because she would not give me the treat that I wanted. Uh, and of course, that's uh, sort of an, an overrepresentation, obviously, of what's an, a misrepresentation of what's happened. Uh, but there is that sort of self-centeredness with children that parents have to be conscious of and really work with as they are uh, engaging with their children. Yes, yes, definitely. I want us to switch roles and end our conversation a little bit by really recapping, reiterating those keys that make marriage successful. But I'd like to start with how can couples successfully and effectively negotiate roles and responsibilities in a marriage? I think one of the first steps is really recognizing that one of the reasons you chose the person that you're with is because they have some skills and talents that you do not have. That is the whole part of completing you. So allow them to complete you. Allow them to fit into the role, no matter what society has traditionally established as a male role or a female role. Allow your spouse's expertise to shine. That is, is what I would say, because then the door becomes open for flexibility and adaptability. None of us know what tomorrow may bring physically or emotionally, uh, you know, for us. And, and so being able to recognize, understand, and appreciate those talents offers us the widest opportunity uh, to be able to have an uh, adaptable marriage. This unit, this union uh, between a man and a woman is really one in which uh, you're having to really face all kinds of challenges in life that require talents and skills uh, that uh, will take the two. Uh, you know, as Ecclesiastes says, you know, two are better than one. Mm -hmm. Do you... Do you agree with that statement that marriage is 50-50? I say marriage is 100-100. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, you know, if you're only giving 50%, you're not all in. And I think if you're not all in, you're halfway out. And if you're halfway out, the chances of that marriage failing are, have increased dramatically. Yes, that's, that's excellent. That's excellent. So let's leave our audience with the picture of, what is a successful marriage? I'd like them to leave with kind of their vision board for their marriage. And what would you like to see on the vision board of every marriage so that we can have, uh, we can aspire for success? I would like to see on that vision board unconditional love and acceptance of the other person. Not accepting everything that they do, uh, but unconditional acceptance of them, because then that puts you in a position to really work through whatever the issues and problems that they have without rejecting and, and, and destroying or, or assassinating them. One of the things that I know about divorce is that the, the conflict that uh, led you to the divorce, whatever the trouble is, doesn't end once you get divorced. Uh, especially if they're children, uh, you're going to carry that forward into other relationships and or through your children. So I would say uh, that uh, that sort of unconditional uh, sort of acceptance of the individual has to be communicated in depth uh, in every way uh, while rejecting the, the difficulties and challenges that uh, may be troubling uh, your relationship. That would be first and foremost. And so it is a uh, it is a real deeper understanding of love. 
I think the the other piece uh, that has to go along with that is is mentioned before is forgiveness. Uh, really not looking to hold a grudge, and that's difficult uh, for for humans uh, to do. We cannot forget the woundedness has happened, but if we can live each day if our spouse is really working to recover uh, with uh, how they have wounded us, we can build that trust again, which would be the third piece of, of really the, the relationship is having trust, forgiveness, and then developing trust. Wow, that's that's excellent. That's excellent. Dr. Kelly, you are, as they say, the bomb. Thank you so much for for all of your your pearls of wisdom today. I know that we're going to bless our listeners and it may even spark and ignite them to pick up the book, Love and Respect and and the Five Love Languages and so that they can really help in, in, in and enrich their marriages. Do you have any other resources or final thoughts you'd like to share with everyone? No, I, I, I would just like to say that... Uh, you know, this was the, the marriage is the toughest relationship that you could possibly involuntarily engage in, one of the toughest, but is also one of the most rewarding. Uh, and it is meant to endure for a lifetime. And uh, there are ways uh, with hard work, uh, with um, uh, support in, in your community to make that happen. Yes, yes. Well, well, thank you, Dr. James Kelly for all of your wisdom today. And this has been Dr. Antherica Lane, and we have been having a conversation with Dr. James Kelly, psychologist. We'll see you next time. Love is patient. Patience is a critical attribute that reveals the force and nature of love. According to 1 Corinthians the 13th chapter, verse 4 through 8, the King James Version states that love suffers long. The Greek word literally means to hold oneself up against. This is a figurative saying similar in meaning to the modern phrase to put up with. In other words, the apostle is declaring love puts up with a lot. In biblical usage, the term describes long-suffering, forbearance, or patience with respect to interactions and relationships with others. In essence, having patience or forbearance with others means to be Low to anger and ready to forgive. It's the opposite of a reactionary expression and thoughts, irritability, resentment, and so forth. It necessarily includes self-control, even when neglected or provoked. Certainly, there are many practical applications for marriage inherent in the scriptural ideal that love is patient. If you have this forbearing love in your marriage, you will accept your spouse for all he or she is without demanding or expecting.
expecting change. You will tolerate the weaknesses, mistakes, and at times forbear ignorance intrinsic in our common human nature. When problems or conflicts arise, you will not overreact in haste, but instead withhold judgment and give your spouse the benefit of the doubt. This love commitment to your marriage and spouse will produce a forbearance that informs and calms your attitude and mindset in difficult situations. You will even endure criticism, provocation, and animosity at times knowing that the long-term investment in the health of a relationship is more valuable than your current personal happiness, rights, or needs. Love, and I quote, puts up with much in order to allow God to work in his time so that the marriage can grow without tendency. Finally, patience, love, does all of the aforementioned without criticizing, complaining, murmuring, or nagging. Such thoughts and behaviors are contrary to the forbearance and the work against it. Indeed, one cannot possess a genuine Agape love, which is patient by definition, and do things that are contrary to the virtue itself. Your commitment must be stronger than the circumstances. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Love is not rude. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not exasperated. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Love bears all things. You have just been served soul food. Faith observed in Optimism Daily. This has been another exciting conversation with a very insightful guest, Dr. James Kelly, clinical psychologist. We look forward to having more conversations with him in the future. Special thanks to Marvin Lane, my technical producer, and a special shout out to my Pure Essence TV family, as well as my new family, Stevie B Media Productions. You can listen to this show in podcast form on blogtalkradio.com with Stevie B Media Productions, What a Word from the Lord. Well, there you have it, and I look forward to seeing you next time.
to Stevie B and Dr. Antherica Lane on What a Word from the Lord. You have been listening to Dr. Antherica Lane with Conversations with Dr. Lane, a special segment of What a Word from the Lord. Back to you, Stevie B. You're listening to What a Word from the Lord radio show. Thinking about what you've done for me in my life, I just want to say what you really mean to me. You're my everything, my joy and peace, you're the reason why I sing. Lord, I don't deserve anything you've given me, so I just gotta say thank you. Whoa, what's nice? Listening to What a Word from the Lord radio show.